0: Cougar Camp, we got right here. Such a cute name. When <laughs> I imagine little kids in all of these teepees, and gosh, thank you for the contribution message. You even just made me start to think about my parents and how we take on values from our parents. Today, of course, we're continuing in First Peter chapter five, finishing out in First Peter chapter five. Our whole series, our whole pursuit of passion series. We've been talking about passion in many different ways. If you remember last time I had introduced it today, we're talking about the idea of should we be active or passive when we look at 1 Peter 5. When we look at all the assurances, the promises, and when we look at what we're instructed to do, is it to be passive or active in our faith and our walk? And so we're continuing that theme today, but we're also touching on anxiety, which comes up in this chapter, very popular scripture. And I think I'll even throw out a question a little bit and just ask what are some things we're anxious about so we can be thinking of that. But I also have to take a step back and, and think and looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, so much of the book of 1 Peter is talking about who we are as exiles and the elect and sojourners and the scattered and royal priesthood, holy nation, but what? It, who does it say God is? we got to talk about that for a minute. Who is the God in 1 Peter chapter 5? course, is the God of the whole Bible, but Peter uses some very interesting, very specific words, so we're going to jump right into it and actually back it up with a head start in 1 Peter chapter 4, looking at verses 17 through 19, because this says so much about who God is, and says so much about that balance of passive and active. Where should we be passive? Where should we be active and active? 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. It says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Man, Peter, that's that's crazy. When I think about our modern day society and what the first century was dealing with, I was relating to Jesse yesterday, it's really hard to relate to being in exile in our context. Maybe in 20 years when we get more post-modern and post-Christian in this nation, we can begin to imagine what it was like to be in exile. But For them, they're looking for answers. They're the exiles of society. They're the ones who are being detained, who are being persecuted, who are being maligned, and they're looking for answers from Peter. I would be looking for answers. I would be looking for who should I be angry at? Who should I be against? You know, an us versus them mentality, or who should I blame? Whose fault is this? And Peter just says, hey, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's not the answer that I want to hear, that, that this is just God's will. <laughs> that I just need to take ownership as He finishes it out in doing good. Entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, so You begin to hear that tension right there. Passive. Or active, entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. And you could get skewed either direction. Well, I'm going to entrust my soul to a faithful creator. Now I'm just going to wait around. But he just talked about the urgency that, hey, if the unrighteous haven't heard the gospel yet, man, there's some things that need to happen. So we have a God who is a judge. So I can't just say, all right, entrust my soul to a faithful creator. On the other hand, the doing good. What if I just said, hey, we just gotta do good and everything's good and pretend that the sufferings aren't happening. It's all good. I think that those who are suffering around us would be greatly discouraged by that, by just a yes, always smile on my face attitude. Oh, you're suffering, well, hey, just do good. It's, it's, that's not the oversimplification I'm trying to present in this verse, but certainly, and trusting your soul to a faithful creator while doing good both together. It's so strange he just pulls out that word creator to describe God and a faithful creator. and so encouraging all of those promises in first Peter, all of those assurances we gotta to trust that God is faithful to complete them. that God has created all of this. that God has willed all of this in his sovereignty. We need to trust that and do good. Two other words Peter will really use to describe God and this comes in I love it when verses kind of match up. And so this the sandwiches our context today because four eleven and chapter five eleven says that God has the dominion. Another word. So okay, he is the faithful creator. And I know that on the tail end and the other opposite of the head end, I suppose. <laughs> God has the dominion. And then we get in a little closer. We're going to read this part in a second. But he is the God of grace. And the chief shepherd. So a little bit of review. Let's look at that chief shepherd. We spoke on it last week. We're a little bit rushed last week. Um, Another group came in and so we sped it up and it is all good. But we want to review just a little bit. So we have this God. And even going into chapter five, active or passive or or both, a faithful creator and doing good. Let's look at this chief shepherd. Chapter five, verse one. Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you'll receive the unfading crown of glory and i mentioned in our previous lesson that that's not a selfish motive of i want to get this crown of glory and then i'm done but we want as many as possible to have that crown of glory amen as many as possible, amen? No, no. And I think to myself, man, what's going to be the most effective thing? When I look at this structure that's given right here. The chief shepherd has set us up to be in flocks under shepherds who should be compelled by love to serve one another, submit to one another humbly. But what's going to be the most effective thing to aid that? And Peter gives us some great practicals. But I, I think about our context as a, a mission team in Bend, Oregon. And I really want to even come up to a challenge towards the end here. Before, As we go into our next series, as we wrestle with our whys, we look at loving God, what's the one thing that's going to help us to be most effective in that? Loving God and loving one another. What's one thing that we could do that perhaps could cascade into fruit and blessings overflowing, cascade into so many different activities in our life. But what's the main activity if we are to be active? We can get a little overwhelmed when we look at all the activities, right? So I thought, what's one activity that the Bend mission team could be going after? Let's hop back into Peter's context right here and begin thinking about that. Of course, I said last time, hey, Peter sets it up so wonderfully. We want to be a witness to others outside of the flock, a witness of Christ's sufferings and an example to those within the flock. Not because we're compelled to show off or put on a show or something like that, but willingly because God wants us to do these things. So we go forward in that context, within that ownership of being an example, being a witness, And we know that, as I've mentioned last time, it takes a great amount of authenticity and integrity, right? You're going to be an example to someone else. And when you aren't an example to someone else, or, you know, in in the flock, if you aren't able to be an example, if you aren't able to witness to somebody else about Jesus, because perhaps you're not following Jesus in the way you know they should be following Jesus, We can pull back a little bit if we lack that integrity, lack that authenticity. We can privatize our lives a little bit. But we don't want disciples to be privatizing their lives or or pulling back. We want to move forward with authenticity and integrity and right motive. We want to have both of those things reach out to others. I was mentioning to a group last Sunday wasn't in our lesson but in the group afterwards we're just talking about that concept having more of a discussion of shepherding being an example and said you know where the rubber really hits the road where i always feel that the most is just being in a personal bible study with somebody you know when you're counting the costs with somebody saying hey we you know we like to read the word daily we like to pray we like to have the humility to Say, Lord, teach us to pray, to pray with one another, to learn from one another, to disciple one another. When we're teaching all of these things, we want to teach with authenticity, with a moral authority, with an integrity. And for me, I'll just say right now, that's one thing that does cascade for me. When I have the motive to be in a personal Bible study and win somebody to Christ, it cascades in so many other areas of my life. Then... I am fighting to have an integrity, to have an authenticity, to to be an example, to say yes, imitate the way I'm reading the word. It cascades in so many other areas where I'm probably going to wake up earlier and be praying to God that the Holy Spirit can put someone in my path or be within the Bible study that day. It cascades into me seeking advice from other brothers and saying, hey, how should I study the Bible with this person, cascades into so many other areas of my life just by Pursuing somebody and getting in the word with them. Now, Peter will go on into a few verses where he brings up humility. This idea that, hey, it's not just the shepherds who are submitting and the shepherds who are serving and subject to others, but likewise, we should take on a similar spirit. Everybody with me? Yeah. 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 All right. Let's catch it up in 1 Peter, verse 5. We'll read verses 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Hey there. The shepherds are serving, and they're subjecting themselves, and they're giving an example. So likewise, follow that example. And we should subject ourselves to the elders. And we should be serving others. And we should do it with a willingness, and eagerness. You know, I I was talking about this with a few other church leaders this past week. So we're talking about how can we move together and be unified. And I really said, you know, I, I know for me, I need to put away my pride or my own selfish desires, my own private agendas, because God will not bless that. God will bless me being subject, me allowing the Spirit to work, me being humble. God won't bless my pride. And so as church leaders, we're saying, yes, let's come together not with private agendas, because God won't bless any efforts of coming together if we come into it with a pride or a private agenda. Same thing for us, just localized right here in Bend as a a mission team, as a church. We want to have a a unity of mind, not just saying, hey, the shepherds ought to be humble, but likewise, God will bless humility amongst the whole flock. Mm -hmm. If we allow pride to come into that flock, God won't bless that. Mm -hmm. If If we allow pride to come in, oh, I'm an example now. Look at me, I'm a shepherd, be subject to me. God is not going to bless an attitude like that. And again, the shepherd leads by example, not by driving others or putting on a show in that way. God blesses those who are humble. Verses 7 through 9. We have a lot to be anxious about. We're in the middle of a quarantine, well, coming out of a quarantine on a mission team in Bend, Oregon. What are some things in your life that you have caused to be a little anxious about? Go ahead and shout them out. Finances. Yes. (laughs) Baby toy finances. (laughs) Work. Yes. Just future plans. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Two or three more. Idleness. Idleness? Yeah, I hear that. Health? No, yes, health. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, guys, and I, I put it out there because, touch on to that. For each of us, somebody has something that we may be wrestling with or maybe having to caution against an anxiety and we want to make it real we don't just want to read through this and oh yeah yeah anxiety's cast on god God it moved through but try to identify what that anxiety is for you and this is in verse seven casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Nadia and uh, oh, Hunter did such a great job talking about how to guard against Satan in our last midweek. But I I want to draw our attention to to how Peter doesn't even skip a beat between verse 7 and verse 8. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you and immediately be sober-minded, be watchful. You hear the the tension there again. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. There's God's part in this and there's our part in this. There's some things we should pass off, or if you will, be passive. And that's, hey, I should cast some things on God. I I, I should know that God cares for me. But there's some things to be active in. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Roy pointed this out in our last midweek. There's so many action phrases right here. (laughs) Things to take action. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Later on, he says, uh, resist, Satan. Resist, that shows some struggle right there. All week long, I've been reading that word and been wanting to say, join the resistance against (laughs) Satan. (laughs) Just had to say it in that way. There are some things to join and resist and be active in. And Peter doesn't skip a beat in that. I I found it interesting. There wasn't a therefore or so that, but just... Cast your anxieties on him, be watchful, be sober-minded. Of course, being sober-minded means to have a proper view of reality, to to face reality. Sure. To have a right view about it, not be skewed about it. And So we really want to make sure that we are sober-minded in what to be passive in, what to be active in. Be sober, watchful, resist him. There is a real danger, this Satan prowling around like a lion. But a God who cares for us, and then later on says, hey, he's going to right, restore you, confirm you, strengthen you. Yes, God cares for us, but that doesn't mean we should be careless. Because God cares for us. There are some things to be anxious about. In the sense of to care about. Because God cares for us, There are certainly some things we should care about. But we should not be careless. So when we deal with anxiety, we want to face reality. How do we cast those anxieties on Him? To be an active Christian, not just a passive one? And, And I think it is in that that God cares for us so that we can care about certain things, pay attention to certain things not just leave it all on god a couple of examples of this this word anxiety and then i gotta start thinking it and be vulnerable what am i anxious about <laughs> most anxious about in life facing the reality of what i'm anxious about i mean one thing is just talking with other people sharing my faith even coronavirus i had to have you know i i want to look up all the risk factors how close can i even get to other people if i'm sharing my faith cheryl boyd said well if you're six feet apart outside and wearing a mask there's a zero percent chance i said okay that helps me have a certain view of reality and that you know i'm going to talk to other doctors too and not try to push anything like that you want to be sober-minded about things i want to be read up about it i don't just want to be anxious about it a few cross references First, and this one actually Alejandro mentioned during midweek, Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 11. In the Lord we are strong to stand against his schemes, Satan's schemes. He cares for you so that you are mighty to stand and to fight. He cares for you so that you can stand, fight, be firm. He cares for us so that we can care about something. You know, I think about what I'm fearful of, what I'm anxious of. And I, you know, I can get bashful, even afraid of other people. But again, looking at first Peter, I, I am fearing the wrong thing. Peter certainly says again and again to have a fear of the Lord. And we see this play out that whoever we fear in life, that's the person who we respect and seek to please. We want to honor who we fear. We want to please that person. Mm-hmm. And, and I find myself caring more about what the world thinks of me or what friends think of me than what God thinks of me. More afraid of what the world thinks. So it boils down to sometimes I just want to be a world pleaser rather than a God pleaser. Sometimes I want to be a, a afraid of the world and loving the world rather than a fear of the Lord and loving God. I, I have to pull back pull that back in to have a sober mind about my anxiety. I'm anxious about so many other things, I could talk all day. (laughs) So I have to take those thoughts captive. God says here, In actually I didn't write down cross-reference, but it's the sermon of the sower, right? This word for anxiety comes up in the third soil. who remembers what's listed in the third soil, parable of the soil? Things that choke us out or could choke out the word of God specifically, it says there. Worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Yes. Worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. Some translation, the cares of this world, the, the lusts of this world. Things we should not be anxious about because they can choke out the word make it unfruitful they can choke us out and make us unfruitful but we don't want to be anxious about those things over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15:10 think about Peter okay so that's a god of fear to help me be sober minded face reality but also a god of grace how can that help me to be sober minded and face reality Paul says first Corinthians 15:10 that hey because of God's grace he worked harder than anyone So I have to say, man, if I am experiencing God's grace, what is that going to look like? Am I going to be passive or active? Oh, my God is the God of grace, so I can be passive or or should I be active? For Paul, he would work harder. For Paul, he would be at war against sin. For Paul, he would love others even more. If he was going to boast, he was going to boast in his sufferings for Christ. Yeah. Being strong in the grace, a willingness to suffer for Christ. Mm -hmm. And I love that Peter mentions that in 1 Peter 5 too. Being a witness of Christ's sufferings. Being strong in the grace, uh, caring for others when you're strong in that grace. A willingness to suffer for others. That's what I think of when I think of how Paul would come in on this. And we see in chapter 4, uh, God's grace, he says to be good stewards of his grace. Hey, I'll give you the words, I'll give you the strength, but be hospitable with that grace. Pay that grace forward. That's the kind of anxiety we want to have, a a care for others. Being a good steward of God's grace. Almost, We all went through our Philippians series, you see Epaphroditus, right? Taking care of Paul, caring for him, ministering to his needs, having a concern for him, as it's translated there in the book of philippians that's the anxiety we should be active in yeah. the other anxiety chokes out the word and i think it chokes out us makes us unfruitful in that third soil i want to actively guard against that all right one last verse i gotta mention second corinthians 11:28. And this is where anxiety really comes home for me. And perhaps even just as disciples, I think this is very real for many of us. I hear many disciples keying into this scripture. Same Greek word used for anxiety, 2 Corinthians 11:28. 28. And apart from other things, this is Paul, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Again, his willingness to suffer for others, his care to shepherd for all of these churches, I got to be careful, just in context of other churches, sometimes I want to shepherd a flock that's not my own. <laughs> or <am> I... <laughs> Maybe I'll see a disciple post something on social media and I'm like, oh man, that makes me anxious. i call you up, who's shepherding you? <laughs> but even right here, right, we can feel anxious for some of the needs around us just within the church, for the disciples sitting right here. We all have needs. Even when we have shepherds amongst our flock, people meeting the needs. Even when we have a humility, a humility to suffer for others, to be subject to them. There's going to be needs. There's going to be people who need our care. A concern, a care, a righteous anxiety, not an unrighteous worry of the world. We want to care for other disciples in the church. We don't want to have a worry of the world for other disciples in the church. Help one another meet these needs. I, I got to fight that sometimes I can lay awake at night, you know, just for hours and hours thinking, how can I help this brother or help this sister? <laughs> and um, sometimes I, I reach a point where I'm, you know, if I'm staying up thinking about that in, in excess, almost to, almost to a level of debauchery, then I do got to cast some of that on God. Say, so, man, i got to let God play his part to help this brother or sister out. I could think about it all night, but uh, I need to be active in my part and let God be active in his part. Yeah. So we do want to be subject to one another. We do want to have a concern, a care for one another, a good anxiety. Not be choked out by this worldly anxiety. Bringing it back around, you know, I saying there's one thing we could be doing. For me personally, I think there's one thing that could have so many benefits. One thing that could help us live out this structure of being an example, being a witness. Because when we take on a responsibility to do that, then we want to have the authenticity, the integrity. We want to have the humility. When you shepherd another, when you have that care for them, you have that willingness to suffer for them it's like a it's like Sersha. man just me having a daughter and taking care of Sersha cascades into so many other areas of my life where i'm gonna wake up more early i'm gonna read books and research of how to take care of her to meet her needs to care for her i want to be an authentic father a responsible father that's the same way we should view taking care of one another it's an anxiety for my daughter. It produces action and endurance. It's a passion for my daughter that produces these things. I was telling Jesse, it's so funny that word passion. As we finish out this series, Pursuit of Passion, even that word passion has kind of lost meaning in our American context where now all the viewing out to the life coaches and the gurus, they'd, they don't use the word passion. They say grit or obsession. That's what you need to succeed or be effective. And they define grit or obsession as passion plus endurance. A passion that's actually lived out with integrity or authenticity. One thing that could help us to live that out with authenticity and integrity. To help meet the needs, but also not to just be people pleasers.
1: Willingly and
0: not under compulsions. I think that one thing is being in a personal Bible study with others. I think as disciples, we got to have a willingness. As disciples on the Bend, Oregon mission team, man, if I could get in a, a Bible study with somebody in this city, what benefits would that have? What areas of my life would I have to align? If I'm gonna lead somebody to Jesus, share the gospel with them. Get them in a personal Bible study. Am I willing to do that, to set that goal for myself? I think that's what's what it's going to take for the Bend, Oregon mission team. Collectively and for us as individuals. I keep saying that word cascading, and you may be curious why. <laughs> because it does cascade into other areas. You see this creek right back here, that's Tumalo Creek. Who knows where it comes from? Jesse. <laughs> where we were yesterday. Where we were yesterday. <laughs> you can follow this creek up to, to Tumalo Falls. Multiple huge waterfalls, one cascading into the other. And You can follow it all the way up to Broken Top Mountain, to No Name Lake, to the Bend Glacier. Jesse and I were walking on the glacier yesterday. And I just thought, man, the power of that glacier and all these little creeks that cascade into one another, flow into one another, it's uh, being in the word with somebody. I phrased it to Madison this way this morning. (laughs) I love Hebrews 4. It says the word of God is alive and active. And I think when we open up the word of God with someone, it causes us to be alive and active too. Because it's a double-edged sword. The Word of God is alive and active. Are we willing to be alive and active? Mm -hmm. Do we want to have that alignment? And just imagine what that would look like for our mission team here in Bend, Oregon. Mm -hmm. We're alive and active and and seeking to have, be in a personal Bible study, even this month. Man, that'd be awesome. Man, if I took that goal upon myself, I might be praying for the Holy Spirit to work. In fact, I might need to be more dependent on the Holy Spirit. I might need to fast more. I might wake up earlier so I could have a stronger quiet time. I might seek the advice of more brothers. It would cascade into so many other areas of my life. They call something that cascades into so many other areas, it's a keystone habit that stacks so many other habits upon it. Like brushing your teeth in the morning. You know, then you look in the mirror, you comb your hair, and then you use your floss, and it cascades in so many other areas. Or making your bed causes you to then keep on cleaning, to be disciplined, to develop so many different things in your life. The same way as disciples, I think the more active we are in studying the Bible, the more it cascades into so many areas of our flock, of the needs in our flock, how to meet them. And I think of the sober mindedness, the danger of not pursuing that, of being passive in that, of saying, well, that's for the shepherds or for other people on the mission team to pursue, to be active in. There's a danger there of then not having the benefits of that cascading effect. There's a danger of once again, then privatizing our life perhaps, because we don't want the responsibility of calling others to be disciples that's my one goal my one thing I want to be in a personal Bible study with somebody I want to be pursuing that I want to be praying God what do I need to do in order to make that happen I'd like to ask it and keep discussing keep reminding and encouraging you'll hear me say it again and again for all of us to be pursuing that and I believe All of us could actually have that goal. You need to believe that you can attain that goal. That God can be fruitful in your life. That you won't be choked out. That God God cares for you so you can care for someone. And that may just look like a personal Bible study. If you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. As we go into our next series, I'm so excited about it. Now that we've pursued our passion, we want to make sure if we're pursuing our passion, if we're trying to be in a personal Bible study with somebody, let's have the right motive. Let's wrestle with our why. Let's look at our God and loving Him and how He cares for us and loves us. Let's be in tune with how He compels us forward. Do what we can to be active in our faith. Lewis is going to be my helper here in passing out communion, if you don't already have a cup for yourself. And we'll go to him in a word of prayer for our communion today. And then uh, we're going to lift our voices nice and loud. A.J. coming up right after. Let's go to him in prayer. Father God, God, we look at...